once again, happy Father's Day, and I've got a question for you to ponder for just a second. Which day is more important, Father's Day or Mother's Day? Ah, I was going to do a show of hands, but I guess I don't really need to. Father's Day or Mother's Day, it sounds like Mother's Day is pretty much the one that goes across the board with the most important. As a matter of fact, a national survey recently just taken, 8 out of 10 people say Mother's Day is more important than Father's Day. And spending also tells us that truth. You realize that on Father's Day, on Father's Day weekend, on Father's Day gifts, there's $13 billion spent in the United States. Dwarfed in comparison to Mother's Day with over $21 billion spent. That on average means that per mom, $144 is spent per mom, while only $82 per dad is spent. Kind of a fun little thing. Now, some of you are like, well, hang on a second. What did I get? And, and you started thinking, yeah, and you're like, moms are like, I did not have $144 spent on me. Well, some mom out there, some mom out there is made up for you. So you're all set. 65% of moms get to go out for dinner on Mother's Day. Guess what the percentage is of dads that get to go out? 35, 35%. Now, however, and I'm not sure how this statistic is, is came together. I don't know how Weber has a grilling research institute that puts things together. My guess is, is just like we all know, 75.34669% of all statistics are made up. So um, they say that 50%, 50% of dads will grill their own meal today. 50%. Now, I think we kind of do it to ourselves because I'd rather cook my own food than have somebody else cook it for me anyway. Listen to this. Greeting cards. Third only to Christmas, which doesn't really count because we just send cards. Valentine's Day, once again. But third is Mother's Day with 162 million cards go out. Dads, only 110 million. I'm not sure what the other 52 million people do, why they don't send something to dad. But it's there. Moms, have it better. They have it better at church as well. Most of the times, moms, like I said, get a message that's uplifting and dads kind of get beat up. And I am so excited that it is full in here. I really am. Some of you are like, I'm not because I don't I have to sit next to somebody. That's okay. Like I said, come, come Saturday night. It'll be okay. Uh, we have space in there. Uh, but, you know, we wanted to make sure to do something just a little bit different. Because on any given weekend, dads, men, we are outnumbered by 13 million women at any congregation across the United States. It is a 65 to 35% ratio of men to women going to church. Why is that? Why is it that men don't go? And I got to thinking about it, and there's a lot of different things, but a lot of churches are kind of geared towards women. They're kind of geared towards the idea of, of making sure, uh, just even in singing the songs, and Jerome does a great job picking out songs, but singing the songs the words are kind of lovey-dovey, things that dudes are not going to say, especially to another dude. I mean, he's our father, right? We're not going to talk to him. Like, that's just, it's just weird sometimes. And so guys are like, mm, I don't think so. Even though the guys are the ones writing the songs, there's just something about it. But that's the reason why I'm glad that you're here. So often I say, hey, I am glad you're here, and it's just kind of those token phrases. I really am glad that you are here, that you made time today, because really you could be doing anything else that you wanted to do. But today you chose to come to church. And because you were here, that means a lot. Because so many men, so many men choose not to. So many men choose to run away. So many men choose to, to not invest in, in following after God. 
And maybe you just came so you could have a little time of rest and relaxation and not have to be outside. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's you or me, but man, it is, it's warm up here on the stage. Maybe it's just the lights, I don't know. But the, the whole thing is, is that, yeah, that helps. <laughs> my, uh, my iPad glows so I can still read, it's all right. And nobody cares about seeing me. So um, the, uh, the thing is, is that, you know, you're here. And that sets an example for your kids. That sets an example for your wife. And that's what it is. And, and way too often, like I said, men choose to run. And the, the sad thing really is, is that we assume when we run, that only affects us. But it affects so many things. And it, it happens in our homes. Men are, are, are leaving the homes. Whether they are there or not, they are absent. And men are absent from the church. And men are absent even in society. And that's not a good thing. So that's why I'm glad you're here. I'm here today not to beat you up, but to encourage you. To encourage both men and women. To be men and women of God. Because the lack of manhood, the lack of fatherhood, the lack of things in our families, in our society, in our church, it's hurting more than just us. Listen to these statistics. 25 million children do not live in a home with their fathers. 40% of children in fatherless homes have not seen their fathers in at least one year. 50% of children who live without their fathers have never stepped foot in their father's home. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 85% of children who exhibit behavior disorders are from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts, fatherless homes. 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers. 70% of all juveniles in state-operated institutions, 85% of youth in prison, 70% of teen pregnancies, 72% of Americans polled recently said the physical absence of father is the most serious problem facing America. And we see that in those statistics. Coming from a fatherless home, there's an old Bill Cosby routine from early 80s. And it was all about why athletes, when they excel, they do something amazing on the field of play. They get up in the camera and the first thing they say is what? Hi, mom. Why? You know, back then it was because, hey, I'm the one that played catch with them. I'm the one that drove them to practice. I'm the one that invested in them. Why do they say hi, mom? Well, now I think we know why they say hi, mom. Because mom is the one that's playing catch with them. Mom is the one that's, that's driving to practice. Mom's the one that's here. Because dads have this tendency to be absent. So that is the reason why I say I am glad that you were here today. Because you're not falling into that category. I'm absolutely, positively, without a doubt, glad you're here today. Because here is where we hear the Bible. Here is where we see the foundation of of what our lives would be built on. If you have your Bibles with you, I would love for you to open up the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and this, once again, is an encouragement to you guys. This message is is to encourage the guys, encourage the, the women to challenge us to live and be men and women of God. If you don't have your Bibles, we're going to have it up here on the screen. If you have an iPhone or an Android or something along those lines, you want to follow along on that, uversion.com or the Uversion app. All the notes are in there for you to be able to follow along with us. But 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in verse 11. It says this, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, Love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you were made to good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. 
reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and overly sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Let's pray. Father, God, Dad, thank you. Thank you for your life that you had your son live. Thank you for the gift that he is to us, the example that he is to us. God, we pray that we can be that man of God, that woman of God, and it starts right here, a foundation built on your word. God, give us the power, give us the strength. Give us the ability to make the right choice, to follow after you. God, we pray that all today in your name. Amen. We had the opportunity as a men's group to look at 1 Timothy chapter, uh, well, all of 1 Timothy uh, on Friday mornings or on a Friday morning Bible study over at Twister's. We get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and from January all the way till end of May, we went through 1 Timothy. And it's only six chapters long, but we had a real good time of just looking at what it had to say and how it had to say it. And, and we see that, that Paul is writing this letter. And as he's writing this letter, he's writing it to Timothy. Timothy is considered a son in the faith. Hey, there's a, a special relationship there. Now, if you don't know who Paul is, Paul wrote a good majority of the New Testament. In the process of writing a good majority of the New Testament, it happened after a conversion that took place. See, in the beginning, when we first see Paul, when we first meet him in the book of Acts, he hated Christians to the point where he was seeing them put to death. And Jesus comes along, and he meets him face to face. This is after the resurrection. Meets him face to face, knocks him off the horse, blinds him, and he says, Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? And I'm sure it was just that nice because Jesus is that way. And that's how the movie's portrayed. He was just like, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Really, I doubt it. I'm pretty sure he was like, you know, big, deep, booming, amazing voice. It just scared, scared Saul just a little bit. So much he changed his name to Paul. And he came along. He came along and what he did is he started to invest in people in the churches. And he's writing letters to the churches. And we see these throughout the, the New Testament. And one of them he was doing, he was encouraging this young preacher named Timothy. And as he was encouraging Timothy as he came along. He said, you know, I need to invest in you. And there's some things that need to happen. And that's what this whole letter, 1 Timothy, is. so many people think, well, it's just for pastors because it talks about church leadership because that's where Timothy is at. He was in the church leadership, but it also talks about how to be a man or a woman of God. And as he wraps it up, he says, hey, I want you to fight the good fight of faith. And that's kind of the wrap of it all. But how does he get to that point? If you have your Bibles, once again, leave it there, leave your thumb there, and, and, and point out on verse 11. Because what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at some of the things that, that Paul says, if you want to be a man of God, if you want to be a woman of God, there's some things that need to happen. Because this is what he says in verse 11. But for, as for you, O man of God, flee from these things. O man of God. Let me ask you just a quick question. If you were to define man of God or woman of God, how would you do it? What would the definition of a man of God or a woman of God be? What would you write out if you were Webster and writing out your definition, man of God, woman of God, what, what would it look like? Who falls into that category that you know? Because, because there's, a, there's a lot of lacking in that category, I think. 
nowadays. Because a man of God or a woman of God really it should be something that is different. You belong to God and not to the world. As a matter of fact, that's why John, uh, Jesus talks about and recorded in the book of John, chapter 17, verse 14, when he says, we are not of this world. You are not of this world. And because we're not of this world, you have to, you have to understand that the world's going to hate you. Because they're not going to understand why you choose God over the things that, that are right here. And he says, we're not of it. We're only here for a short time. Our actual home is someplace else. And we have to grab onto that. And when you realize that as a man or woman of God, there's nothing that this world has to offer that is better than what God has to offer. And that we belong to him. And that he is our Lord and that he is our Savior. And I surrender my life to him. Do you realize the term man of God only actually shows up twice in the New Testament? The term man of God only shows up twice in the New Testament, and we just read one of them. However, it shows up over 70 times in the Old Testament. 70 times in the Old Testament, it's used to describe guys like Moses, guys like David, guys like Samuel, guys like uh, Elijah, Elisha. You, You think of all these guys that it's describing, these men of God. What characteristics do those guys have that made them men of God? Why would they be called men of God? And as Paul continues to write, and he's writing this out to Timothy, he says, oh, you man of God, what makes Timothy that man of God? He says, what I want you to do first is flee from these things. Flee from these things. See, a man or a woman of God is defined by what they first flee from. And when it says that, what's he saying? What does the word flee even mean? Well, if you look at the Greek, and I'm just throwing this out there because I did it in reading and study. I don't understand Greek. It's, it's, I've told you that before. I don't want to try and act like I'm smarter because I'm like, oh, here's the Greek. The Greek actually means fugitive, to be a fugitive. So when Paul wrote out, flee from these things, he said, be a fugitive from these things. Now, I'm not sure. There's, a, there's some older people in here. You watched the original Fugitive. I watched the one with Harrison Ford. So um, I, I can still tell you that what that means, though. It meant stay away, hide out. Don't be within company of these people because you're going to get caught. So stay as far away as you possibly can. Run away. Flee from these things. Why? If you're going to be a fugitive, isn't that whole definition the idea of getting caught? And what are these things anyway? When it says flee from these things, what's he talking about? Well, if you have your finger still on 1 Timothy chapter 6, go back up to verse 3. Because he reads it on from there, or he writes it on from there, which we're going to read. It says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine that does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. I don't think Paul's pulling any punches here. He's being very open and honest of what he thinks about people that think opposite. He's saying, they don't understand anything. Goes on from there, he says, he has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy and dissension and slander and evil suspicions and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. You don't understand anything and you don't know the truth. Imagine that godliness, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment. That's something we talked about last week, about that being still and being content with what you have. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But we have food and clothing. With these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money. Not, the, not money, 
But the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. See, that is some heavy, heavy language that he's slapping on there. And he says, these are the things that you're fleeing from. That desire to be conceited, that desire to be the one that's puffed up and not really have the knowledge, that desire for more, because he says that root of all evil comes from that love of money, that desire for more. And he's reminding you, you know what? When you were born, you know what you came into this world with? Nothing. He says, and when you leave this world, guess what? Nothing. I joked last night, I've said it many, many times, you will not see a hearse with a trailer hitch on it because they're not taking anything else with them. My guess is when I die, because people have heard me say it enough, they're going to do it as a joke. They're going to throw one on there and say, hey, there's one right there. It's Matt's. You know, that, that, that's it. But that's okay because I'll be gone anyway. I'm not going to really care. The, the whole thing is we're, we, we come in empty-handed. We leave empty-handed. And everything we strive for in this life It's temporary if it's for the world, and it's eternal if it's for God. So what are you chasing after? And he says, the man of God understands these things, that the things of the world are things that we can flee from. We don't have to be held captive by it. I know it's almost impossible to wrap our minds around, but imagine this. If within your family, if within your culture, if within your church, our church, we decided to adopt this idea of chasing after God is foremost and chasing after the things of the world isn't. How would that change who we are and how we act and what we do? Because that love of money stirs up the root of all other kinds of evils. There's temptations that come along. There's things that open up. And all these things and this domino effect happens and, and that, uh, that love of money is the start of it all. That's what starts tilting it all and it all goes astray. And we, we start walking away from what God has us because we're chasing after things that are of the world. And it's just kind of one of those things that it's so hard to wrap our mind around. And we've talked about it so often, even as we went through the Gospels, even as we've come to this point where we're talking about 1 Timothy, men and women of God are known by what they flee from. Are you fleeing from those things or are you chasing after those things? The second part of the verse in verse 11 says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. So it says, first, flee from the junk of the world, and then what to pursue after? Follow after the things of God. Follow after the things of God, which are righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. It's all kind of right there. And it sounds a lot like something else Paul wrote at one point in time to the church in in Galatia. And he says in there, he says, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And how do we have these things in our lives? Is it something that we strive for? No, it's not. Because it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of Matt. It's not the fruit of you. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's a Spirit living inside of us and us opening our lives up to say, I'm going to pursue after that and let the Spirit use those things and grow those things inside of me. So, as I am following after God, love is going to be a result. Joy is going to be a result. Peace is going to be a result. Patience is going to be a result. We look at those things. You know, I, I laughed even yesterday as I kind of thought about it. You know, there's so many things that when we're chasing after the world, it kind of robs us of the fruits of the Spirit. Because if you, if you really, really think about it, when you open your credit card statement 
After buying something that maybe you couldn't afford, but you just had to have, so you figured you'd borrow some money on this plastic card that's in your wallet. And when you open that credit card statement, is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness the thing that first bubble up inside of you when you open that up? Oh, I am so glad that Southwest is giving me points for this. You know, that, that, that generally is not your response. And a lot of times it's because we're chasing after things that we can't afford and we don't really need, but we think we need because that's what the world tells us we need. And God says, no, all you need is me. I'll take care of everything else. All you need is food and clothes. That's we'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. Don't have to have the latest and greatest. And I am one on Father's Day to say that that is a hard thing to say out loud because Father's Day is a day to spend eighty-two dollars on me for the latest and the greatest. You know that 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 is that is such a hard thing. But he says, flee from that, and instead of following after those things, instead pursue after God because isn't God? Righteous and godly and faithful and love and unwavering, which is steadfast and gentle. And that is what we're to be. If we're to be a man or woman of God, we first flee from the things of the world, and then we pursue after and follow after God. And in verse 12 is the next thing he tells us to do, is to fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. The cool thing is we are warriors. We are warriors. Beat our chest. Yeah, warriors. And that's what God has created us to be, to fight the good fight of faith. And we pursue after him and we follow after him. And guess what's going to happen? If you are deciding that God is the thing, the person, the being that you want to chase after and you want to pursue after, you know what the world's going to think of you? That you are crazy. That you decided to give up this job promotion because you're more worried about being with your family because that's what God has put you in first. People are going to think you're crazy. People are going to think there's something wrong with you. And you know what? It's not only people in the world. It's also people in the church. Because there's plenty of people in the church that are going to say, what are you thinking? And why are you thinking that? How dare you follow after God? I remember when we first started Paragon and we started telling people, hey, we're going to start this church and we're going to, you know, my job over at First Baptist was good. And it was pretty easy. I'm just going to be honest with you. I had been there for eight years. I had gotten a cycle going. I had leaders doing pretty much everything that they needed to do. I didn't have to do a whole, whole lot. And I was getting paid to do it. And it was great. And then I said, you know what I want to do? I want to go throw all that out. And I want to go work my absolute tail off for less and, and, uh, and not even sure if it's going to make it. And everybody went, what's wrong with you? Why would you do that? That sounds insane. People outside the church, my parents, people inside the church, Right over there at First Baptist. Why do you want to do that? Well, it's because God called me to do it. Why do you want to do it? Because God told me to, to, to do it. But, but no, tell me why you want to do it. I'm trying to. Because when God lays something out there, it's going to sound crazy to the rest of us. And, and, and that's what we have to fight for. Men and women of God have to fight to defend themselves, to, to fight that good fight of faith. Because I have faith that God has called me to do it for a reason. And we're to fight the good fight of faith, that faith that, that God has placed out there and said, what is it exactly? It is being sure of the unseen and certain of what we hope for. It tells us that in, in the book of Hebrews. And, and it's all laid out there for us. And, you know, we see the guys like Moses. You think Moses at any point in time in his life said, why again did I leave the palace and all the food and all the things that I could possibly want to go live in the desert? Probably. But he understood. 
Do you think people on the outside said, you are crazy? Why would you do that? What about David when he decided to go dance naked in the street? Two very anti-Baptist things, naked and dancing. You know, the, he's, he's doing it in the middle of the street to praise God. Do you think people thought he was crazy? And he said, you know what? Woo! You know, I'm praising God here. He knew. He knew. And, you know, you look at a guy like Elijah. Elijah, who sat next to a stream being fed by ravens, drinking the water, and then finally said, you know what, I need to go face these prophets of Baal and Asherah. And in the process of doing that, um, I got all these people I'm going to go up against. I'm standing here all by myself. They're all going to be worshiping to their God. I'm going to be doing it to mine. And I'm just praying by faith that God answers. And a huge thing of fire came down from the sky when it was answered. You think people up to that point thought he was crazy? Absolutely. Without a doubt. They thought he was insane. You know, one of my favorite people in the Old Testament is a guy by the name of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a guy that generally we don't read a whole, whole lot about. It's not like one of those things where in your, in your Bible, and it's that those are the worn pages that you have there. Um, you see Nehemiah is kind of the ones that stuck together. But, but Nehemiah is one of my favorite guys, and the reason why is this. He was called to do something crazy. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't some big spiritual giant. He was just called to do something crazy. As a matter of fact, he worked in what we might call today a secular job. He worked for King Artaxerxes. In the process of working for King Artaxerxes, he saw that Jerusalem, they just rebuilt the temple, but the temple was unprotected. There was no wall around Jerusalem. And in this lack of a wall around Jerusalem, he said, we need to build a wall around this city. We need to come together and build a wall around this city. And he went to the king, something that isn't recommended at this point in time in life. He went to the king and said, this is something that God has laid on my heart. Can you help me? Can you allow me to go? And not only did he allow him to go, he actually helped provide some of the supplies. And he went into the town and said, said in Jerusalem, we need to build a wall around this city. And people inside the camp, the people that also believed, the Jewish people that were with him, said, you're crazy. And the people outside the camp, the guys like the Amorites and the Arabs and all those people said, you're crazy. It's not going to happen. And he said, we're going to do it anyway. You know how long it took him to get it done? 52 days to build a wall around an entire city that was big enough to defend that city. He got people together. He worked together. It's a great book on leadership. It's a great book on on seeing people coming together and working. Do me a favor and read with me in Nehemiah chapter 4. It's going to be up here on the screen. Nehemiah chapter 4, starting in verse 6. This is so we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half of its height, for the people had a mind to do what? To work. They had a mind to work. They saw there was a need, and they got to it. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and Ashdites heard that the repairing of the wall of Jerusalem was going forward and the breaches were being closed, they were what? Angry. There was some resentment going on here. There was some friction going on here. What he was doing was causing some problems. He was following in faith what God had called him to do, but it was causing problems. Not the first time, not the last time that we'll see this. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. In Judah it was said the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. Here comes some excuses. There is too much rubble 
but our, by ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. So these people inside, we already have people outside saying, hey, we're going to attack because we don't like what's going on. Now we have people inside making excuses. And our enemy said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us, 10 times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in the open places, I stationed people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked, and I arose, and I said to the nobles, and to the officials, and to the rest of the people, listen to what he says here, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. That is such a powerful, powerful verse. Because even when we see it in our lives today, we say, you know what? I want to be a man of God and I want to lead my family. People say, you're crazy. We need to go golf. You got, you got, you got the people that say, I, I want to be a woman of God. And they say, no, don't do that. You have to do all these other things. You have to focus on yourself. And you say, no, I want to focus on my family. I want to focus here. And they say, no, no, no. And he says this. He says the same thing to us. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of the criticism. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your brothers. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters, for your wives, and for your homes. We have too many people who don't fight for their homes, who don't fight for their wives, who don't fight for their sons, who don't fight for their daughters, who don't fight for their husbands. That's not okay. Do you realize when I said, I am glad you were here, I mean it? Because the average attendance in church nowadays, to be considered an average attender in the late 90s, to be considered an average attender meant you went three out of four Sundays in the month. That's to be considered an average attender. To be considered an average attender now, you have to go one out of every six Sundays. That's pathetic. And why is it? Because we've stopped fighting for our homes and we've stopped fighting for our, our God. We've stopped. Church is just a, eh. We can come up with the excuses. There will be an excuse that comes in your mind next week when you wake up. Man, it was full last week. If we go now, we're not going to ever fit. So we probably should just forget about going. Yeah, come Saturday night. That's right. Wake up Saturday afternoon and then have that same thought in your mind, okay? And that way you can still come Sunday. That, that's, the, that's the thing that we can have. We have these things. But see, it says don't be afraid of them. Remember who the Lord is, that he is great and awesome and fight. Fight against those things. Follow after him. Be a man of God. Be a woman of God. There's a movie, it's almost 20 years old now, but it's probably one of my favorite movies of all time. It's got Mel Gibson. It's about William Wallace. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called Braveheart. And in Braveheart, they're, they're fighting for their freedom. They're literally fighting for their freedom. The, the whole scene they're about ready to see is they're, they're ready to run. Not, not run as in from the things that he tells us to flee from, from, but running from the fight. Because we can at least live if we run from the fight. We, if we don't want to fight people about being a man of God, we can live for the world and, and we can live. But at the end, when you're laying on your deathbed, the question is, huh, what would I have done different? How could I be different than I am right now? What have I done with my life besides accumulate stuff versus accumulate things that benefit God, that glorify God? Let's watch that clip real fast. You've come to fight as free men. And free men you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? 
from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! Fight. Fight. Our, our lives. Our we're a slave to God or we're a slave to something else. It's, it's just the truth of the matter. Um, once again, I can go back to the credit card thing, and this can be anything really. But in the credit card realm, when you open that up and you have to write that payment out, the minimum payment out, it's not a great feeling. It's not a great feeling. But, but when we chase after the things of this world, we become slaves to the things of this world, and we feel we have to do other things to get to that point. And, um, you know, I was talking to a guy uh, this week about... about uh, buying a car and in the process he's like yeah you know in california now they have loans for cars for 10 years and i thought to myself who in their right mind would pay for the same car for 10 years who in their right mind would would do that because does anybody in here maybe there's a small percentage that have the same car they had 10 years ago small percentage yes and all I, I'm, I'm going to point it out, uh, all older generation that, that, uh, that understand the, the, the value in that and not being a slave to a car payment. It's a beautiful thing to not have a car payment, I'll tell you what. And, but we can be easily become slaves to those things. When we're slaves and chasing after that, we miss what God has for us because he says there's freedom over here and you're a slave to this. Your freedom is gone. Your freedom is gone. And would you rather have the freedom or would you want to be taken away by being a slave to the things of the world? That is what Paul is saying. Fight the good fight. We have freedom in Christ, but we make ourselves slaves to the things of the world has to offer if we don't flee from him, if we don't pursue after him, and we don't fight the good fight of faith. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful once again that you gave us your son, Jesus Christ, so that we may live so that we may have freedom, that we may be able to just glorify you in our daily lives, in our walk, to be men of integrity, to be women of integrity, to be men that can be called a follower of yours, to be women that are called follower of yours. Lord, even as we sing this last song, take my life and let it be all for you and for your glory. Take my life and let it be yours. Not for my glory, but for yours. Not to lift me up, but to lift you up. God, I pray that even right here, right today, we have been encouraged, and I know that you've encouraged me to be a man of God, to be a woman of God, to fill that gap that is being left by those who are running from you instead of to you. God, let us be an agent, a catalyst to change this world because we are living for you even though they think we're crazy they will see the results that there is something different about us we pray it in your name amen